Hello, friends. Welcome in to episode number 45 of the Fantasy Scouts podcast. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by fellow scouts Sam Ehrman and Matt Nine. Today on the show, we're going to recap the Super Bowl. Thoughts on the Rams? I know Sam's excited to talk about Matt Stafford, talk about the Bengals, just the overall game and where these teams go next. Of course, we will address the unfortunate Odell Beckham injury. What is next for the star wide receiver? And we're going to give you some of our biggest takeaways from the 2021 season and how to implement them going forward. So let's get into the show. guys um before we get into the super uh, super bowl recap want to remind our fans to head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts head on over to ffballallday.com check out our revamped website hit the subscribe button on our patreon only seven dollars a month you get tons and tons of great content and we've got a lot coming this off season and heading into next year so do yourself a favor and head on over there while you're listening but for now, Sam, I know you have a lot to say. Um, you've been the guy pounding the table for Matt Stafford um, for quite some time, and he came through. What was uh, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl and and Stafford? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm glad I'm still here. I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, I told Kaylee, uh, I said my farewells before the game had started. Um, that's not true. Um, she kind of watched part of the game with me. Um, great game, man. Um, even if we didn't win, it would have been like what I would have considered a great game, but heartbreaking, I guess. Um, after the Odell injury, I didn't, I, I just felt like in the pit of my stomach, like it was over. Like, I don't know. Like I, it, the whole offense and the whole team kind of felt flat after that. And I don't know. It just, I was like, Oh, okay. So like, this is how it's going to end, you know, like we're going to come so close yet again. And I'm going to have to deal with all the shit from Matt and Chad. Like, that's literally what I told myself, like, and through the second and third quarter, like I kind of accepted it. Like, I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to be a bitter prick the next week. I'm not going to do the podcast and then I'll come back. Like, that's literally like what I was going through my head. And um, things happened and Matt Stafford did what he's always done. I mean, he's always been God clutch. And when he, when he needed it, man, he came through. And um, I think the, the season ended ironically for the Bengals. Um, I think you everybody's seen that picture now trending where the last play, Jamar Chase is wide open. But Joe Burrow was on the ground, and it kind of matched the meme that everybody sent around before the draft. While people want to use that because it's the only opportunity that they'll ever get again, um, it was a costly play, I guess. Um, Joe is hurt again. You know, there's an injury report out of his knee. Um, I've seen this with the Colts, man. You've got somebody special. Please, for the love of God, take care of him. I'll never forget, man. After Andrew Luck's first year, we went 11 and 5, you know. We, we, we got the hell beat out of him, and we thought, oh, okay, you know, we're good for the next 10 years. You know, we'll just drive the line this next season. We didn't do it. You know, it's like, I hope 
the Bengals don't do that to Joe because I've seen this before. A superstar generational player who can change games. Like that entire game, like I when he had the ball in his hand, like I was like, oh, this is like I I have the same fear already with him that I do with Tom Brady. Like that level of respect and it's like you have to keep him upright. And if they do so, I think, man, the sky's the limit. But outside of that, you know, the Rams are going to look a lot different next year. Um, I hope Aaron Donald doesn't retire. I hope – I imagine everybody else in the NFL and all our 31 teams hope he does. Um, but if he does, man, hell of a career. Um, you know, and glad he went out on top because, man, as us Rams fans – We've been through some dark days, so we finally get to celebrate. What do you think, Matt? You got any any thoughts on the game and, and how it played out? I thought it was a really well-played game uh, after the touchdown to open the second half, and then the Stafford through interceptions led to a field goal. After that field goal, the Rams' defense just locked down. There was no more points. I think it. I think I saw it was like 18 yards for the rest of the game like some, or something really, really small, so that – the defense played lights out. And then when, you know, Stafford needed to drive six minutes, put it in the end zone. I will say, however, I do think the football gods balanced the game out. That was a clear offensive pass interference on T Higgins beating Jalen Ramsey. And I also thought that was a really weak call on the Bengals linebacker Wilson on that. What was holding on third down, both teams scored touchdowns off of those missed calls. So it evens out. And also, it, just sorry to interrupt, but the play before that for the Rams, when they called the kind of phantom holding call on the Bengals, there was a hold on the play before. I think it was Henderson, but um, they did miss one there too. So, but you're right. But I, I think ultimately it came down to the Bengals defense just not being able to stop Stafford. And I think Zach Taylor has a little bit of Cliff Kingsbury in him. And I say that in the sense of he's a good coach. Uh, but when it when the game is on the line, the the play calling and the personnel usage as was really bad, and that has to improve dramatically if they're going to make it back. I understand that P. Ryan is an okay player; he's not better than Mixon, and Mixon is a significantly better uh, pass catcher than uh, P. Ryan. So I'm not entirely sure why Mixon wasn't out there. He had 15 carries for 72, 72 yards. He was averaging close to five five yards a touch uh, throughout the game. He needs to be in on those plays. I'm not entirely sure that Aaron Donald makes that third down stop to force fourth down. If Mixon is in the game, like I, I believe, I think Mixon picks up the half yard that was needed. Uh, I, I question why didn't P Ryan die for that ball on fourth down? So there was a lot of personnel issues that, that went with that Bengals team in general, as well as down the stretch there in that game. But at the end of the day, you know, the Rams got it done. Matt Stafford got it done when it counted. Yeah, I think um, another thing was just the Bengals failing to capitalize on the turnovers that they did have. I mean, they became the third team, I believe, to lose a Super Bowl while winning the turnover battle by two or more. And you win the bat, you win the turnover battle by two or more, not just in a Super Bowl, but any game. I mean, your odds of winning skyrocket so i think that was a point of failure as well um i will also say i think aaron donald is about six inches away from being the super bowl mvp and if did he, I, if he gets that last sack on burrow on fourth down that gives him three for the game i think he would have won that, it that would have tied a super bowl record and 
I told I mentioned it on the last podcast, but I did bet Aaron Donald plus eighteen hundred for MVP. That would have paid out nicely. And I think That's you're right. Up. He was or if, you know, if Stafford gets in on that sneak instead of Cup getting the second touchdown, maybe mm-hmm. that. But I mean, Donald had two sacks, two tackles for loss, and yeah, that would have been a third there. So But well deserved by Cup as well. So Yep. Yeah. Um that Stafford sack was solely just a waste of time out. Like you know, you know, you know from two yards out, you're not getting there. It was solely to waste a few seconds to make sure they didn't have three timeouts because with three timeouts, you can do a lot on offense. And I, I, I realized that live, and I, I was very appreciative of that sack or that uh, attempt, just because I knew what they were doing. We can yeah, also go back to mind. the first Stafford pick when he threw it in the end zone, and Jesse yeah, that was a big old Vernon, Vernon Hargraves came running onto the field in his sliders, cost the Bengals 15 yards and backed them up inside their own 10. What if he hadn't done that? Does the play calling change for Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow getting to start at their 25 in a two-minute scenario, potentially going down to score three more points? Since they were backed up at the 10, they didn't even bother. So does that change? That how does that make sense? Uh, they He came out on the Bengals' touchdown celebration. It was the Rams getting the ball back. So the Rams just got 15. No. When Jesse Bates intercepted the ball – Vernon oh, Hargraves oh, ran oh, off yeah, the yeah. Bengals sideline and and not in uniform and celebrated with him in the end zone and that cost. For some reason, game. I thought that was the T. Higgins touchdown. Yeah, you're right. You're, my bad. I so guess I, did, I just wonder. It was right at the end of the half. So I just I just wonder yeah. if the that mindset of you know let's let's try and two minute drill and try and get three on the board here if that changes it, versus it being on twenty five to the ten. So yeah. I mean that yeah. you know shot yourselves in the foot there potentially. That definitely, um, that's a good point, you know, and you're right. Um, and also, it definitely changes your mind put because now you're worried about not hitting two instead of six, you know, so. I, th- I, I think the Bengals played well enough to win, but they didn't. The Rams took advantage. They capitalized. The Rams, Rams also are. played well enough to win as well. Their defense was lights out, like I said. Uh, I will say, though, I don't feel like I was watching the two best teams in the league, though. No, I, I I think this year was a, a, a prime example of – I don't think there was a best team in the league as much as uh, there were literally 10 teams I thought who could have won the Super Bowl, and I would have been fine with any matchup without the 49ers. So. You know, I think Bengals fans can be upset, rightfully so, anytime your team loses the Super Bowl, but I think Bills fans have to be crushed. If they manage those last 13 seconds better against KC – very well could have been them. And I think the Rams deserve it. You know, Matt, you and I talked last week about the matchup and and maybe it was not as inspiring as most Super Bowls. Um, I do think the Rams are deserving. I think had the Bengals won, they they would have been considered one of the worst, uh, you know, Super Bowl teams of all time. But man, I can't help but feel for Bills fans because they were right there. And I think there's a good chance they would have, have won it. I want to ask you guys, Matt Stafford's now 12th all-time in passing yards. I think I know your answer, Sam, but why don't you tell us anyways? Is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer? Well, not today, but he will be when he retires. And I don't think it'll be much of an argument when he retires, but I don't think today is just – I mean, like, if he were to come out and retire, I'd cry and I'd question my life and probably go through the same thing I did in 2015 when they moved, you know. But um, anyways, um, I think when he retires, you know, he'll obviously be, you know, top 10 in a lot of categories. He could have two Super Bowl rings. You know, I don't know. Um, He'll probably never win an MVP. Um, 
if the, if he didn't win it this year, well, no, he threw too many interceptions. Um, I don't know. I I think when he retires, he will be. But today, no. Um, but in in sake of the argument uh, in the the podcast, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Do you agree, Matt? Is Matt is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? I agree with what Sam said. He's not today. He is 34 years old, so he does have four, five more years left to to fill out that resume a little bit more. Although I do think it's an uphill battle. So I'm going to say ultimately no. And the reason I say no is because Matt Stafford can be a great quarterback and still not make the Hall of Fame. Like both of those can be true. I feel like the Hall of Fame is the best of the best. And Matt Stafford can be the best, but he's not necessarily the best of the best. I think the biggest issue I have is that when you look at Hall of Famers, you have to be the best at some point in your career, and he never has been. Well, I I believe – I understand that he's the first to – Sam tweets us out 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, et cetera, et cetera. So he's on the proper trajectory statistically, but he's – not only has he never won an MVP, he's never had an MVP vote. But he had – well, he that's has, fair. One thing I one, will add: one Pro Bowl. I mean, here's Russell Wilson. Zero, it, it, zero. It, I don't think Russell Wilson's Hall of Fame today. Okay, then. Oh, zero yeah. All Pro votes or appearances, however you want to do that. Guess how many? I learned this today. I didn't even know this. I wasn't going to bring this up tonight until I heard it. Guess how many times he's been voted Player of the Week? Thirteen years in the league. I'm gonna guess with zero since you're bringing it up. A few, three, three times, and okay. two of them were this year. How can you put Matt Stafford in the Hall of Fame if he hasn't even been the best player of the week only more than three times? He can't be the best of the best if you're not even the best of the week. But if you're consistently one of the top five and you like win Super Bowls, and here's the one thing like I'll say is a lot of times like Hall of Fame resumes, you need like one thing to cling on. Um, yeah, he'll have the stats, but the stat that he'll that the, the single stat that will get him in is when he retires, he'll easily be number one overall, like in fourth quarter comebacks and like game winning drives. Right now he's fifth all time. That just means he's losing a lot. He's he was on a fucking horrible franchise for 13 years. Right. And I'm not how many times he won games that they had no right in being in in Detroit regularly. The dude would sling for five hundred yards, five touchdowns, and bring him back. And oh no, single player of the week votes, but fuck him, right? You know, like that's the thing is like this dude will come back and win games. He'll like he when he retires, he will be like number one, you know, with being the most clutch dude. Like that to me says you are clutch, and when it matters most, you are going to win the game. If that's not a Hall of Famer, then I don't know what is because in the, he just did this in the playoffs was the first player ever to have a game winning drive in the divisional round, the NFC Championship, and the Super Bowl, and back-to-back-to-back weeks. So, okay. I mean, like, the dude's the most clutch player, arguably, to ever walk this earth. But, you know, since he was on a horrible team, who he drugged the you know the playoffs twice. You're not going to give him credit for that. I, I just – I don't know. The other I, thing I, I would add – I that, But that I doesn't mean you, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think you both have merits to this argument. The other thing I'll add is when you look at – him not being successful in Detroit when he finally had an opportunity. It took him one year to win a Super Bowl. And in that year, he's second in passing yards in a single postseason. He's like, I don't know, 100, 200 yards behind Eli Manning this postseason was. And these two years, or these this postseason, he has the top two passer rating among QB wide receiver duos with Cup and with Beckham. He's top two just for this postseason. And then, like Sam mentioned, the three come from behind victories. So 
the one opportunity he's had to, you know, make a mark in the postseason, he really did. And when you look at, you know, I think these passing numbers, you can't always compare them between different eras because it is such a pass-heavy league now. But he is 12th in passing yards uh, ahead of Warren Moon. And his touchdowns, 323, which is more than Moon, Elway, uh, Montana, like a lot of other guys. So I think he definitely has a case. I, I think you guys are are kind of right that I have something else I want to add a little more, but um, go ahead. And, and this is totally just strictly for the argument. Like I, I agree with Matt. Like today he's not Hall of Famer, but you know, in a few years he could be. Um, the two times in Detroit, he had a top 20 defense, is the times he made the playoffs. And not even an average. That's like b- below average defense. He drove the, the, the offense, the playoffs. But every year he started, like all sixteen games, which was like I think all but two. He had they had a top fifteen passing offense, bare minimum at top fifteen. So like the dude was always consistently dragging the Lions to competitive rocks, like you know years, and never had the help. And the two t- like the two times he had bare minimum help, they went to the playoffs. And the one time almost got that you could argue. The, the P.I. didn't get called on the Lion or the Cowboys. So, I mean, I still think they got screwed, but it is what it is. But, like, anytime this dude's had a, a, a bare shred of help, he's been successful. And the one time he has, you know, he just won the Super Bowl. So, I, I don't know. Like, you see one of the guys who's clearly, in my opinion, one of the most talented guys to ever play. I mean, you see his no-look passes, sidearm stuff. He's been doing that for 13 years. He can light up the scoreboard, and now he's winning. I don't, I don't know. I just – if that's not – you know, when you look at talent and accolades and what a guy is, I feel right. like when he hangs it up, if he if he's not, you know, check every box, and I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't. What accolades though? Like Aaron Rodgers also has one Super Bowl appearance with one ring, and he has four MVPs and uh, two handfuls of All Pros, and he's had arguably just as bad of teams, except um, for the one year that he won the Super Bowl, like the one year that. But this is uh, not about Aaron Rodgers. I'm no, Aaron but I'm saying you, you, you can compare, all time. You like, can compare their careers. Like Aaron Rodgers belongs in the Hall of Fame because he's been the best of the best on multiple occasions. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying Stafford can't be, but looking at Stafford's career versus a player like Aaron Rodgers, this year is an outlier for Matt Stafford. We you need to we need to see it again. Well, the Aaron Rodgers like. Every, like if the minute you start comparing, like, oh yeah, he doesn't have the Aaron Rodgers resume, so he doesn't deserve to get in. Like nobody's gonna have an Aaron Rodgers resume, a Peyton Manning resume, a Tom Brady resume. They gotta have their own resumes. This dude. So it makes it makes right no sense to put the resume of Aaron Rodgers and the resume of Stafford in the Hall of Fame. Wait, say that again. I, I didn't hear you. I said it makes no sense to put a resume like Rodgers and a resume like Stafford in the Hall of Fame at the same position. If you if you're gonna be like, no, he can't have that same resume. It's like then why does he belong in there? He has different. He had a different path. The dude has lit up the scoreboard for years and years and years and drug a poor franchise to competitiveness. He leaves and wins the Super Bowl right away while checking every box. And then, like, we're assuming, like, and this is projecting in three years, you know, he could easily have another Super Bowl. So it's like, then what? Like, I well, mean, at, at that point, then then it opens the door because then I, I think two Super Bowls would cancel uh, the lack of MVPs and All Pros if he well, had. How, how do you feel about Eli Manning? I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame either, nor does Philip Rivers. Well, Philip, I absolutely agree with. Eli. Eli was carried by his defense. Can you tell? Here's Both my times. thing. Like, I agree, like, the Hall of Fame, like, should, to, I, I, my thought process in the Hall of Fame is two things. The first is 
can you tell the story of football without mentioning that person's name? So at this point, you'll probably eventually know you will not be able to talk to, you know about football without mentioning Matt Stafford's name um, or like somebody like Philip Rivers and stuff. But also, like to me, it should be like, oh yeah, like when you ask, like to me, it should be like a no doubter, and like to me like, with Stafford, it'll be a no doubter. Does Matt like, Ryan belong in Hall of Fame? With like Ben or not Ben? I, I believe absolutely Ben's a Hall of Famer. Um, but like Philip Rivers, absolutely. I mean, like he never did anything. Like I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I never even thought like he was very good, like talent wise. I I just thought he he knew, he knew football. And I'll be honest, I hated watching Philip Rivers play. Like just like. Just because his angle release just bothered me so much. Like I loved watching him play, but I hated like watching it. You know, I I don't think Eli belongs in the Hall of Fame. As of today, I don't think Russell Wilson belongs in the Hall of Fame. It could change. Same with Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan. I'm kind of on the fence about, but all of those guys have roughly the same resume. So if you're saying one doesn't belong in there, how can some another guy in the same group belong in there? Well, I don't think Matt Ryan has near the resume. Yeah, he has the MVP, but I mean, he choked he hard a, in the Super Bowl, and um, but he has a lot of All Pros and a lot of Pro Bowls, other stuff that Matt that Matt Stafford doesn't have. So I mean, it like that's why I say it balances out the Super Bowl and no personal accolades versus a guy with a ton of personal accolades and an appearance with a loss. I feel like those two are kind of even. I don't think Matt Ryan has a ton of accolades. I think he has that one great year under his belt, and then a few like Pro Bowls. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Matt Ryan, and like, I'm not trying to like, you know, poop on him, but I, I don't know. He's also been like on the drastic decline, and he's never been one of the more clutch players in the NFL. I mean, clearly, 28 to three. You think Matt Stafford would choke a 28 to three game? Anyways, well, he's also. I mean, I think the team that he was on obviously contributes to this, but he has never led the league in. Passing yards, touchdowns, anything of that nature. I think if he gets a season where he who is that Stafford, you know, well, if next year he leads the league in passing yards or something, like I think even just that being wait, didn't he literally do that this year? Yes, before. I'm pretty sure Matt Stafford led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. Well, no, 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 I did win let that last game. Stafford was second then, but I mean, he's yeah, he was about up there, the year but... he threw fifty. For five thousand and forty touchdowns, did he not lead it that year? Was that one of Drew Brees' five thousand years? Like you gonna know, hold that against him too? Matt Stafford was third in passing yards this year. Okay, what about the year he had five thousand and forty-one or whatever? It I don't is? know. Matt That's Stafford was second in touchdown passes. What year was that? He was third with four thousand six hundred fifty in twenty thirteen, behind Brees and Manning. He had 5,000, like, I think it's 2012. I believe it's 2012. It was, yeah, so he was just below. He was 4,967, and Breeze had 5,000. No, he had a 5,000 year. Like, he's over 5,000. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's been right there. I. That's a fair point. I mean, he's been in the top five many years with a pretty putrid offense. 2011, 5,038 passing yards and 41 touchdowns. Like, I mean... I don't know yeah. what else with the dude to do. Five thousand yards, forty touchdowns, and ain't getting the playoffs. But yeah, he's a bum, man. He's a bum. Can't win. I think. Okay, I, I don't think anybody's saying he's a bum. Yeah, I think there's a big. Oh, I know there, but also, um, I do. This is a random stat, and I came across it last night, and I saved it to my phone. 
Matt Stafford is the has the most comeback like game winning drives in a season with eight in 2016. Um, and he's above like I believe it was Manning and Elway um, for one season, and it was 2016. So like the dude's been like this his whole entire career, but nobody watched him because he played in Detroit. Like that's what I tried to tell you all year. You didn't hey. you know, like no, not you, Chad, but like Austin. This is yeah. this is new Austin and Matt. Like mm. yeah, he's been one of my favorite players. <laughs> this is I've been been. I've been waiting for this moment for him to be on a good team and and have a shot. So I'm really really happy about it. Um, but let's, um, who led the NFL pass? Oh yeah. That of course, Brady. One of, yeah, it was breezes, um, uh, 5,047, 5,476 yards and 46 touchdowns was the year that Matt oh, Stafford was 5,000. That's why nobody remembers it. We didn't really talk about what's next for these teams. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Matt? It's always, you know, once the dust settles, it's like, okay, what's next? I mean, the Rams have a tough cap situation, a lot of free agents. The Bengals are very young, but obviously need help along the line. Sorry, I'm probably taking some of the words out of your mouth, but no. go ahead. I mean, exactly what you said. I think what's next for the Bengals is how do we make sure Joe Burrow's knees and his body stay upright? You got the you got the young wide receivers. He's going to be, what is this, year three? So he's got three more years potentially or two more years potentially on a, on a rookie deal. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing for the Bengals and trying to keep as much as that defense together as you can and just kind of building depth through the draft and just, you know, kind of reload. I, I think they will be okay. I think the thing that I, the Bengals will struggle with is that the division around them is going to be better next year than it was this year. Uh, we remember talking about the Ravens coming in. They lost all of their running backs. Lamar missed five or six games. The Steelers were terrible, and the Browns are still terrible, but the division itself should be better, so the road's going to be a little bit more difficult. And as for the Rams, you know they, they, they do have some cap stuff that they have to work through. I'm not entirely sure if Von Miller will be back. That could be a loss. You know, As Sam said at the top of the show, Aaron Donald could retire. I mean, they're even talking about Sean McVay said, we'll see, although I do think he is back, but I, I guess in, in, there is a world where he does retire. Um, I know this is the next segment, but Odell tore his ACL, his surgically repaired ACL from last year and the same knee. I'm not sure if he comes back. Uh, if he does come back, it'll be a one-year one deal. I, I can't imagine he's ready for training camp or if he holds up. I don't know what else he really has to prove. He might consider retirement now. So I, I do think there's going to be some turnover on, on, on this team, but they still should be relatively competitive, uh, assuming, you know, the NFC West doesn't, doesn't get good again overnight. Of course, you know, that's a chance with the Seahawks and the Cardinals are still good and the 49ers would be good with Trey Lance. So I think the path back for both of these teams is very difficult, but that's just kind of, you know, where, where do they go from here? I, I don't think each team is losing a lot that doesn't at least keep them in the conversation. Yeah, I, I agree a lot with Matt. Um, the one thing I want to uh, point out is the Rams are also uh, um, Andrew Whitworth is retiring, um, and that's a, also a huge loss. So, like, we're gonna have. I mean, I, th I believe Joseph Notebloom can replace him, but he's also a free agent. So, like, Rams got to make some stuff work. But you know, as long as you have Matt Stafford, as long as you have Joe Burrow, and as long as you have Sean McVay. And, you know, some of the pieces like, you know, Jamar Chase and, you know, the T Higgins, like the, as long as you have the nucleuses, I think they'll be competitive. 
Um, the Rams, obviously, everybody knows what their draft situation is going to be looking like. Um, so they're going to have to rely on guys taking deals. Um, and as for Odell, um, I I know he wants to stay in L.A. Um, and I know he loves it. And I think now there's a chance that he doesn't have much of a market, so he'll take a cheap deal to stay with the Rams. If anything, that's kind of what it tells me. But I don't think he'll, you know, like Matt said, be ready for camp and probably be a slow start to the season and stuff and yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, definitely um, there's a lot of work to be done. And that's kind of why I wonder, like, if Sean McVay is, like, not serious about retiring because, like, or if he is serious because, like, hey, you just won a Super Bowl. You've got an aging roster. Yeah, you've got a superstar quarterback. But, like, mm, a lot of everything else except for, your, you know, your wide receiver needs a lot of work. Um, you know, he could easily get a bag just being a TV producer. So um, it worries me as a Rams fan. It, it worries me that Sean McVay is already mentioning retiring because in 10 years, I doubt he's still coaching. So, like, that sucks. Yeah, you know, one other thing. Uh, you brought up a good point about Whitworth, but this team is also losing their offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell. Um, their special teams coordinators going, or I believe assistant special teams coordinator going to Denver. One of their defensive assistants is becoming the Denver defensive coordinator. They're losing a the, bit on their staff too. The run game coordinator is following Connell to Minnesota. Same position. You know, I, I think I'm going to be honest at this point. I don't know if I'm really worried about assistant coaches leaving the Rams um, because every year coaches leave, you know, like, but like, more so if McVay, like if McVay left. Oh yeah. If, if McVay leaves. If McVay like, or Donald leave, I think the Rams are in a world of hurt. I don't. I mean, yeah. The natural I, thing would have been to promote O'Connell, right, and keep a lot of that. That's kind of why I don't. But like you know, also the Rams have lost their OC like like how many years in a row? Like you got Lafour and you know, I mean all these other coaches are like they're just churning them out. You know, yeah, I'm not really worried sure. about O'Connell. I'm sure he'll be fine. You know, like he knows how to coach. You know, he did whatever McVay does. So I just. If you lose McVeigh, like everything's over. If you lose Donald, it's going to really hurt, and we'll see him in Canton, I guess. But I, I really hope he doesn't. You know. Yeah, I'm with you, and and the Rams are projected to be 14 million over the cap, so they have some maneuvering to do. Um, and the Bengals are, they're losing like you know a few guys like um, Uzama and stuff, but um, more importantly, like I know he's a big joke, um, and for good reason. But like guys like Eli Apple and those those veteran DBs who they brought in like Mike Hilton and some of those guys um, are, were only like one year deals for the most part. So they're not going to have that same backfield. So that could be different. And having chemistry like a DB room could, I mean, that is, if you don't have got that, your team is not going to work. So you never know like year to year. So, but I mean, you assume they'll draft somebody and hopefully they go heavy line, but you know, I don't know. I think the Bengals, Money wise and draft pick wise, if I was feel, like if I'm looking ahead, I'm more excited as a Bengals fan fan as I am a Rams fan. Yeah, I mean they're projected to have like 50 million in cap space, right? So they can do a lot. They'll have a lot of flexibility, but they do have some guys. And like now, know. they're it's funny because like the Bengals are a free agency destination. Like people right. will come to play with Joe Burrow. And you know who recently said Gronk I'd like to put? Yep. And then if he's saying I mean, that, you know that. other guys. Like Allen Robinson's probably thinking, hmm, 
Well, no, he's probably looking at Kansas City, but either way. There's a lot of top name, big name free agent tackles too, like Teron Armstead that might end up there as well because like I said, they like you said, they have the money to pay guys like that now. With the new CBA, you have to use the money too. So like you can't just hold on to it. So they're gonna sign guys. Yeah, they'll have some guys extended, some guys will leave, but you know, ultimately, you know, the nucleus will be fine. Yeah. I agree with um pretty much everything you guys said and we we kind of touched on Beckham there, but I did have it as its own segment because I think we need to talk about it. Um, I think personally I had him going to probably like new England. I, you know, he said he almost signed there before I felt like that was a natural fit and they could afford him more so than the Rams. But with this, yeah, I don't know what his market's going to be. I think it makes sense for him to go back. Maybe he takes a little less. He already said he would. Then he can stay in L.A. He can rehab. There's also no rush back. He can come back late in the season when they're making a playoff push if it takes that long and be like, in a, a you know, a late season addition. Maybe it's a one-year deal. Maybe it's a two-year deal with an option for the second year, something like that. I don't know, but I think that's probably the most likely outcome now. But, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but I'll ask you guys this question. I mean, do you think the game would have been – different had Odell not gotten hurt and and how much different oh yeah I don't think that game would have been really close like and I say that because after he got hurt like I mentioned earlier like that's when like all the momentum and like everything just stopped the Rams and I think I saw a stat where after Odell got hurt for like the next six drives the Rams had 62 total yards like they were trying to replace him because you know like now everybody was just you know triple top <laughs> Oh, go look at Cooper Cup because Van Jefferson can't, can't can't catch it, you know. And Blanton was hurt. I don't even. It was Bryson Hopkins at thirty some yards. Like I mean, the Rams were picking it thin. So yeah, they, they definitely needed him. And if he was out there, you know, like there's a few go balls. Like I was watching, and like he threw like Matt Stafford threw like a ball to Van Jefferson, and Van Jefferson didn't catch it. And I thought to myself, man, I was already taking Odell for granted because like OBJ catches that football, like I'm you know like throughout the game and. So it is what it is, I guess. But Yeah, I was going to read off the drive. So they had Stafford, that's when he threw that interception downfield after just after Odell got hurt. And then the next possession was nine yards and a punt, three and out. Then the end of the second quarter. Then first play out of half, um, interception on their first uh, first play. Next possession, 52 yards and a field goal, fine. Then after that, negative three yards and a punt, three yards and a punt, six yards and a punt. And then finally that touchdown drive. Yeah. Tell me where Odell got hurt. I mean, like it's wild. Like, I still think the game would have been close, but instead of, instead of Stafford driving the Rams for a game winning touchdown drive, it might've been the other way around that with Odell there, they might've been up and then the Bengals would have to go down and score to take the lead or tie the game or something like that. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I guess in theory they did, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you never know, and I, I think that's the tough thing. But ironically, I think in a year from now, Odell is going to be like Odell took Bobby Trees' spot, and in a year from now, Bobby Trees is going to be taking Odell's spot back. Like it just, I don't know the ir- irony. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and it's just such an unfortunate timing because Odell really kind of resurrected his image. I mean, he fit in flawlessly with a, a Super Bowl team and no hiccups and no and he was balling. Problem. Man. I mean, and yeah. He was- he looked you so good. Tell he was feeling it. Like he he yep. waited his moment, like his whole life for that moment, and he was balling. Like, so it just really sucked to see. But honestly, I'm, he got the ring, and 
you know, like you said, people like Odell again. So I guess I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he did a lot for his image, which would have been great for free agency, but um, not. It still might be, though. Like, I, I mean, could you see a team like the Patriots giving him a multi-year deal and trusting that he's going to rehab and be back and just counting on, you know, the next two years after that? I mean, I don't I, know. I see them doing a multi-year deal, but it would probably be heavily incentive-based where it's like, okay, we think you can be yourself again, but we want you to earn it instead of we just give it to you. Like, that would probably be the route if he leaves. Like, it'll probably be – it could easily be like a three-year deal, like worth $30 million, but it's all incentive-based, you know, like outside of like your signing bonus and a, a small few million base guarantee or something. And I just don't know if he takes that over staying in L.A. to rehab and then hitting the market again next yeah. year. I don't know. Maybe. So it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Any last thoughts on Super Bowl, Rams, Bengals? Um, I think, you know, I wanted to do some just kind of takeaways from the 2021 season, kind of put a bow on it. And, you know, whether that's things we learned, things we were right about, things we were wrong about, um, things that we can carry over into next year. Just want to get some of your guys' biggest takeaways from the season, things, you know, things you want to bring to the listeners' attention. So, Matt, why don't we start from start with you? What do you uh what was one of your biggest takeaways? I think one of my biggest takeaways is not only from this year, but I think it's from last year. I think the 2020 class kind of started in motion, you know, set the wheels in motion for this massive turnover in player in the NFL. As far as talent goes and youth goes, we're seeing all these quarterbacks retire, older guys kind of, you know, taking a backseat to some of the younger guys. And we were talking before the show uh, how I think the the talent gap between players, your wide receiver one and your two and your three and your four, your RB one, your RB two, that talent gap is closing more than what we're used to. There are obviously still your total superstars, your Jonathan Taylors, your CMCs, uh, your Jamar Chase is Justin Jefferson where teams will rely heavily, but I think we're starting to see maybe more of a committee approach in positions behind them, at least skill positions. So I think the biggest takeaway is, especially from a fantasy perspective is the drafts are getting deeper. Players are getting better in every round than what they're used than what we're used to seeing like guys in the fourth or fifth round, you know, Maybe in previous years, might have been third or second round picks. Uh, I think just the quality of overall players getting better, which I mean, for fantasy is a good thing because I, I think we're going to be able to start building more depth for our teams, which I think is important. Do you have any um, thoughts on that, Sam? Sorry, I was on mute. I was talking, but yeah, that's a good point. Do you have any thoughts, Sam? Well, I've, I know obviously over the past hour, I've had some come and go. Um, he could be on something like I definitely think like players are definitely getting better, like absolutely. And I, there's more available to them, you know, like, and expect, you know, they're also able to be identified earlier, you know, like, um, so, you know, it kind of works a combination, you know, being able to, you know, and then especially with having the NIL deals and stuff, like I think people will be able to start, you know, players will start be able to like train professionally and stuff before they get the NFL instead of like doing it like their first summer out. Um, and, and like right before the combine, and you're seeing like guys like Jamar Chase, like he took a year off and just prepared. Like he was like, all right, I'm an NFL player. Like I'm not going to go to college. Like, so I think, you know, there's so much more tools and stuff available to guys that they're absolutely getting better. So that Matt, I agree. Like the youth turnover, I think is becoming more and more apparent. And it's like, 
you see like the upcoming you know wide receiver free agents like hmm do you want to spend money on juju or do you want to go in you know the second round and take a swing on some guy who's you know checks just as many boxes and doesn't have the knee injury or the contract and teams are quickly clearly deciding to go in the draft and wide receivers aren't making as much money so i don't i, I think we're starting to see it trend back um and I wonder if it doesn't trend off of kind of my theory, kind of. I, I I think we're getting to the point where we want to see guys stay with their teams that draft them. I don't necessarily know if I want to see guys leave and go to another team for that second contract. Well, isn't there a long history? Actually, I know there is a long history of like guys leaving, getting a contract somewhere else. Like typically for fantasy football purposes, historically anyways, if you leave your team, your production goes down. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're obvious outliers, but yeah, for, for all practical purposes, yeah. but also at the same time, it's like, you know, if you're a first or second round pick, you have roughly four years to establish yourself as, as the teams, you know, one, two, or what have you as a, as a prominent role. So as opposed to trying to keep free agents off the team, like I said, the drafts are getting better. Players are getting better. You're having to keep the team from preventing drafting the guys at the same position. I wouldn't. Sorry, I wouldn't be surprised if in ten years there's two more NFL teams because there's already been conversations throughout the league and rumors like there's too many, there's too much talent. Like we're cutting guys who could start for us. Like you know, like and then it's becoming more and more true every year because like I mean, you're seeing 200 kids get drafted. No, 200, you know, 256 kids can't play, but even if half of them can, that's a hundred some kids kicking, you know, seasoned veterans out of the league. Like that's a lot, like that's a full team. So I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in two years we will see expansion, but um, I think part of it's just, you know, because the talent is getting deeper and deeper. And I, I say this, this is my takeaway because I think now from a fantasy perspective, I don't think, I don't necessarily think that draft capital is everything anymore. It's definitely still important because teams are identifying you as better than most. But I think we're going to start seeing more quality players come out of your mid rounds, your threes, your fours, and your fives, and what you're used to. So I think I think that's okay if if you're in on a guy that gets taken quote unquote that late. Well, and that's kind of what happened last year when like the wide receiver, like the wide receivers is like, there were so many wide receivers that teams like that. Like, they're like, Oh yeah, we can just wait, you know, like, and they just like, Oh, well, you know, we'll take, you know, the guy we like at this position because we can just wait, you know, like, and it's like that again this year. Yeah, like, and you saw like, and it's going to be again in 2023. Like, yeah. Emir Smith, Marset, like a developmental guy, fifth round pick, like the dude could clearly play like he's raw. Like, you know, like there's, guys like that like you know and it's like they keep getting deeper and deeper and um yeah I, I think that position in particular the wide receivers is so saturated right now there's yeah. so many good guys that aren't even on teams yeah yeah i have some thoughts but it kind of leads into my point so I'll, I'll wait on those sam why don't you give us uh your biggest takeaway um my takeaway i guess and um i don't I guess it kind of interlinks with Matt um, somewhere, somehow. Um, but I, I believe that the running game is making a uh, – actually, I know it's making a comeback. Um, and I say that because for years, like for the past 10 years, teams have been so worried about the teams running spread offenses and stretching the field that, you know, 
all the teams had drafted length and speed. And now, you know, there's not, you know, those bulky, you know, there's not as many, I guess, um, bulky, you know, run stopping kind of guys. So teams are starting to kind of run the ball more. And I think that they've kind of figured out that that's like a, a successful pattern, um, at least trending right now. And um, I say that because I noticed kind of this year um, scoring and uh, fantasy production was down a little bit. And it's because, you know, teams start to run the ball more. And it's because, you know, offensive linemen aren't changing. You know, like offensive linemen are still 6'5", three, you know, 320, you know. But your linebackers are, you know, six foot, you know, 210. So, you know, there's a lot of leverage there. And teams have figured out, let's get our guys to the second level. And we're running the ball more. Um, and with that, um, I also believe, you know, over the past few years, like guys like Mark Ingram, Melvin Gordon, um, Adrian Peterson, um, have kind of set the benchmark for star wide or running backs um, who don't, you know, have success. Sorry, severe like knee issues, um, kind of like uh, Todd Gurley, uh, that you can extend your career um, and be a, a viable RB two. So it kind of is clogging up, like you know, that's why running backs aren't being drafted as high because you know you've got a guy you like and there's you know a guy in the fourth round you can just wait on, like Michael Carter, like a really good running back a really good running back, you know, who doesn't belong, fall, fall into the fourth round, but just because of the depth of the position in the league now, you could just afford to wait. And I think it's all trending towards kind of what Matt said is, you know, younger players coming in and more talent and, you know, it all just kind of correlates, at least as I think with starts with a run game and being able to understand like more committees, keep guys on the field, you know, longer drives, extending careers. You know, I think at some point it all starts to overlap and, you know, the NFL is a trending league, um, which is kind of why I'm not so worried about teams, you know, with like a workhorse star, um, like a JT, like if you can get a viable quarterback in there, you can be a legitimate quarterback or Super Bowl threat just based on the fact that you have, you know, something the other teams don't and it's that personnel advantage. And NFL teams have started to figure that out. And I think that next year we're going to see more of an emphasis on committees. Yeah. I mean, I have, again, I have some thoughts. It's ironic because all this stuff is leading to my two takeaways, but I know Matt, you had done some work on looking at, you know, the committee thing. So how do you feel about what Sam said? Just that there's going to be more committees next year. I, I don't, I don't think that's the case though. Because, like I said, the research, at least granted a small sample size the last four years, we actually had more guys. So I, I, I guess the thing is, what do you define as like a workhorse running back in today's right. NFL? Guys, there are more guys this year than in the past four years that are over that 60% opportunity share mark, which is encouraging. But the, And there, there happen to be, this is, not, this, this is not a trend, but there happen to be more guys above that 80% mark this year too. I think it was three compared to two last year. So it's not real big difference, but I think there's still a clear one a, as far as running backs go for a team to their number, you know, to a one, to a one B or their one to their two. So I'm not sure it's like a full long committee. Cause when I think the committee, I'm like, you know, the Melvin Gordon Javante, like, I mean, they literally split like 50, 50 outside of like pl- give or take five carries this year kind of thing. I don't, I don't think yeah. that's the way we're trending. I think we're trending in more of like a 60, 40, like that gap from like 70 to 30 is shrinking. Well, that's 60, kind 40. of like what I, when I say like a committee, like it's not obviously going to be 50, 50. I'm just saying like, 
it's a longer season. Guys want to play longer, so they're more aware to take less hits and trying to extend their careers, take cheaper contracts. And part of it has to do with, you know, the running game might be coming back. So like, I kind of think, like, you know, especially with the extra game, we might see more of those committees and more emphasis on the run. That's kind of where I'm at. So one of my take, this wasn't going to be my main big takeaway, but it's it fits into what we're talking about. So one of my other thoughts is um, I don't know if we pay enough attention to the value of the touches that running backs get. You look at the guys who are up there in red zone attempts. You got Jonathan Taylor, Damian Harris, James Conner, Joe Mixon, Fournette, Eckler, guys like that, that all, I mean, all those guys are up there in the, you know, the final, the leaders. And I mean, you talk about Javante and Melvin, they each had 21 carries inside the 10. They each had nine carries inside the five, an exact split. And neither of them are up at the top, but I tweeted out and talked about Austin Eckler after the first couple of weeks, how he was finally getting the red zone usage, which was never the case before. And what did he finish as RB2? Because he finally got that. So when you look at these red zone leaders and, and who's getting the most touches in the red area, that's where so much of the, the value comes from. The only guy I noticed that isn't up there that that had a strong fantasy season is Najee Harris, but he caught so many passes and he still found the end zone just, you know, from further out. But I mean, most of the guys that finished near the top of running backs were the guys getting these red zone touches. So I think that's something maybe just as a fantasy community or whatever, that maybe isn't highlighted enough. Like we don't necessarily need the workhorse. If it's a split backfield, we need the guy who's getting the ball in the red area. I think, um, one thing also is a lot of those guys you just pointed out also catch footballs. And I feel like, like it's one of the reasons why I think Travis Etienne will still be a viable fantasy option because his ability to be like a pass catcher. And right. I don't think he's great between the tackles, but if you have a coach who's able to utilize your strengths, I would much rather have a running back catch five footballs for five yards instead of carry the ball five times for five yards, you know, like I'm scoring a lot of points while, you know, instead of getting the 0.5. So I wonder if there's not a combination correlation with those where it's like, you know, the guys catching footballs have more red zone opportunities or if it's, you know, also the value of the reception showing again. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a good point. In today's NFL as a running back to be fantasy viable, at least you have to, either catch passes or score touchdowns, right? You can't just be a guy who just runs between the twenties, but doesn't catch passes. That's, that's not going to do anything for us. Um, but I do think, you know, pass catchers do get highlighted a lot. I don't know that, you know, Gola, like James Conner, like nobody predicted this year. And I'm not saying that we should have, but I mean, the dude was a walking touchdown there for a while and, you know, he caught some passes too, but Damian Harris is up there and, he had a really good year, didn't catch a lot of passes. So um, I think we just have to look at the value of the touches. But my original big takeaway that I was going to highlight is that rookie wide receivers are worth the investment, the high profile ones. For a while, it seemed like that wasn't where, you know, it took a year or two. Last two years, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and even some of the other guys, which you guys just talked about, you know, as opposed to betting on, you know, like a Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency coming off a knee injury, 
you rather just draft that guy in the second round. I mean, even, you know, outside of the big names I just mentioned, you had like Jalen Waddle this year, you had T Higgins last year, um, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, there's just so many good young wide receivers and we have another really strong class. So I feel like betting and banking or investing, I should say, in rookie wide receivers is really worth the price of admission. And for Dynasty, I mean, we all know that they have a longer shelf life than running backs. I still think there are running backs that should be taken highly. Like I was pounding the table for Javante Williams. You know, that could be another takeaway for me. Um, But these wide receivers are, they can be elite immediately. And I don't think we've always been able to say that, especially with the, you know, the way the league is and, and just highlighting a wide receiver strengths and skills and getting them the ball and specializing. So um, I just think rookie wide receivers, totally worth the investment. Any thoughts? Haven't, I guess most of them always like, I know, and I know this is going to like start something maybe, but like, I know analytics likes to laugh like, Oh, we got Jamar chase, right? Well, you know, everybody got Jamar chase, right? Like, these these guys like who come in like we're just obvious superstars who come in like you know the Julio Jones AJ Greens like you know the guys who like have superstar names who are clearly going to be superstars you know the, like I feel like they've always been worth the investment um, you know I mean like if you drafted Julio Jones as a rookie and you've kept him until now I mean how like genuine question how many you know yeah but I'm I'm talking immediate impact I mean Julio Jones rookie year didn't he have like I think he had wasn't a thousand or was like nine fifty eight? Like he had nine fifty nine and eight, which is good. But you wow, look at the best right. rookie seasons of all time. I mean, Chase is second in yards for rookie all time. Justin Jefferson third as a rookie all time. Before that, you're talking Anquan Bolden, Randy Moss, Beckham did it. But then somebody from nineteen fifty two, somebody from 04, 96, 86, 54, 61. I mean, those are the leaders in terms of rookie receiving yards. So I'm talking like, I mean, and and deeper too. Like Julio had a nice rookie year. He might have been even one. He might have been the top rookie that year. He was. And but, like the thing is, uh, my, isn't it just possible that <clears throat> while there's going to be, you know, continue to be really good wide receivers into our league, um, and I feel like wide receivers have always been kind of worth the investment, but isn't it possible that just, you know, the two cats who were coming from LSU are who were clearly on different levels when they were, you know, like, isn't it possible that those two are just generational superstars and we shouldn't be trying to chase the next one and just not overreact? Right. But I'm saying even the depth of the class, I mean, look at what T Higgins did. Look at what Jalen Waddle did. Look what Amon Ross St. Brown did. Look what Brandon Ayuk did in his rookie year. Um, I mean, even even a guy like Chase Claypool finishes wide receiver twenty four his rookie year. I think that this the not to go along with the depth, but the guys that like I said in my when I started to talk was they're getting better. I just think like what Chad is saying is that they're just they're more ready to play day one than what we're used to seeing. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, like I think guys have always more or less been ready to play, but I do think that's a good point and a good way to put it. Like I think yeah, absolutely, most guys. I mean, like, there's more of an emphasis on it. Like a guy, the Bengals draft Jamar Chase in the, you know, high top of the first round. They emphasize him in the offense. I feel like before it was kind of guys still had to work their way in. 
some, I mean, like, obviously, if you've always been drafted in the first round, you've kind of always been, like, expected to show up and be a guy. Um, Fair. I think – I had something I was going to say, but um, I do think, you know, they are more ready to play, but I don't want to get caught chasing the next one. You know, like, I do think more guys – most guys will still need some sort of development. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I see what you're saying. I think it's a fair point. I think just for me, I'm I'm more comfortable in slotting a rookie wide receiver into my starting lineup in, in a dynasty format, and I like the value there. And compared to – I've always been a guy that will trade picks for veterans. I think I'm a little more comfortable keeping those picks – yeah. And taking that rookie as opposed to trading them for a Juju Smith Schuster, like you just mentioned, right? Like, yeah. I think it yeah. kind of fits with that. I'm not disagreeing by any standards or saying like you're wrong. I just think that maybe those two might be a little bit of an outlier. Like, I mean, those two for happen, sure. you know, just be best friends who are at the same school who like also happen to be connected to, you know, arguably the greatest college football quarterback of all time, like at the same time in the same season, like, and then they just both happen to, you know, be just that good. Like, I definitely think that more guys are becoming um, viable, but I don't think that we can, you know, start to print out thousand yard, you know, wide receiver I guess, seasons for more guys. It, like, let me put it this way: I mean, you still have guys like, you know, like a Jalen Rager that go in the first round that don't have an impact, but I think there are less busts than before at the wide receiver position at least like the last couple of years. And maybe that is just coincidence, but I think a lot of it does have to do with NFL offenses adapting and, and also the, the pre-draft work and, and all that stuff and just the talent at the position. I mean, it's, it's become a pass league. And I know you had mentioned maybe shifting more towards running, but as of now it is a pass first league and, and these guys are being utilized. I mean, look at some of the past classes with. Um, I can think you know, of several busts. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. Right, we got Rager, you got Rugs, Mike, I mean, Will- Mike Williams, Corey Davis. Yeah, I mean, I understand they're good players, but they're bust relative to where they were drafted. Right well, from the last two classes, I think that number has shrunk a lot. But you make a lot of good counterpoints, Sam. I mean, that's why well, we're I mean, talking about it. Guys, did you forget about too? Like KJ Hamler was drafted in the second round. Like, I mean, like there's still. You know, there's still in my JJR Sega Whiteside and Denzel Mims. Um, Denzel Mims, like there's guys who are like I think it's just the same. I think or maybe I mean it could be a little bit better, like the hit rate. I, I just think that maybe the past few years, like we've had a few guys come in that are so good that maybe we're getting like a little too excited on what could be. And maybe there's more wide receivers going in the first three rounds is that possible too the volume I, is up i don't know because like this past year like there wasn't like a ton of guys drafted in the first three rounds like i think amari rogers was the final guy in the third round but i could be wrong and i think he was the ninth I, wide receiver i can look it up give me a second um but to like to like, is there a guy in this class that you feel could come in and put up a thousand yards year one, like without any doubt? Yes. 
Is it Traylon Burks? Yes. Yeah. But do you think like okay. Are you chasing when if you actually I think there's three guys that could, but there's only one guy that I would feel really comfortable that can. Right. I think Burks can, and I feel good about it. I think Drake yeah. London and Garrett Wilson would be the other two that can, depending on the landing spot. Because you could see Garrett Wilson and Jalen Waddle type usage at the thousand yard mark. Yeah. Uh, Drake London could be, I don't know. I'm just going to USC comp here. You know, Michael Pittman on steroids, you know, just big body guy to, coming in at the right spot could be the featured X right away. That's where Michael Pittman had to, you know, miss a lot of time to start with and then had to wait really till year two. So I think those are the three guys that could. Yeah, I don't disagree. I just think that that's proving more point that like those early firsts are valuable. Well, like let me put it this way. Let me read off the up. top the guys that went. Like I think there's just let me say just so this last year, the the wide receivers that were drafted: Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith, Kadarius Tony, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore. And then you have Eskridge, Atwell, Marshall. But those top seven all showed like pretty strong flashes, at least at times, right? And then the year before, you have Ruggs, Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. I mean, so those, see, those like top 10 guys, well, there's not many that like have busted. 20, go back to a random year. Like, if you go back to like 2015, like, and then 2016, like, you know, see if, you know, is it the same? Like, I'm pretty sure 2016 is Corey Coleman. Like, uh, um, hold on, I got you. 2015 was Amari Cooper. Okay. Devontae Parker, Brashad Perriman, Jalen Strong, Kevin White, Nelson Aguilar. Those guys. So there See, was a no, lot more busts, right? There was, there was 20, no good who came from that class. That seemed like an outlier. 2016 was Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, Michael Thomas, Shepard. Josh Dotson, that's a big bust. Laquan Treadwell was a massive bust. And Thomas was drafted in the third round? Yes. No, Michael Thomas was a second round pick. Okay. Um, and then what about 2017? Like 2017, we had Godwin, but he was third round guy. Juju, Corey Davis was, I think, five overall. Uh, Kenny Galladay, Zay Jones. So the only first round pick Curtis in that Samuel. class was Corey was Corey Davis. And he oh, excuse me, and uh, Mike Williams is in that class, and they both busted relative to draft position. John Ross was a was a oh he was a first round pick too. Yeah, 20, he was like eleven overall with the Bengals. Yeah, so we, we looked at twenty nineteen. We know it was pretty well. Nikhil Harry Harry is obviously. But what about 2018? DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton was a two. Christian Kirk was a three. Was a two. Only two first round guys in that one were Ridley and Moore. So they're both hits. It, it Dante seemed, Pettis, yeah, Anthony Miller, James I mean, Washington, get Gallup and Shark were then there as well. So it seems like still hit or miss it, it, over the past. But I feel like there's a lot more busts yeah. in those classes in the top. Two, yeah, um, two years. yeah. I think that's kind of my point. Like across across all positions, I, I just think the last two classes, and it looks like this one, at least on paper so far, is just that we're this is getting people are getting players are getting better across the board. This and is I much just, deeper. I, 
this class is supposed to, I mean, it's going to be pretty solid at wide receiver, right? So I just feel like, I think your, your point is, is good, Sam, especially you don't want to chase like past performances and in, in different guys, but I think I just feel a little more comfortable keeping a rookie pick and taking a wide receiver um, than maybe I have in the past. Yeah, no, I don't disagree um, by any standards. Um, I think obviously it depends on the player, like, you know, the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think obviously it's a great idea to start churning, you know, and get some of those younger picks like, um, you know, so I don't know. What about some of these, um, you know, second year wide receivers that maybe like an Elijah Moore, like he flashed, but he hasn't really, you know, he got hurt, didn't really string a lot together. Rashad Bateman kind of had a few weeks. Um, well, history shown that if you have like a really injured plagued rookie year, you continue to struggle. Yeah, Matt. Matt knows that you're on mute, Matt. Oh, you're muted, boo. Um, me. I, I, I shown that. And that's true, correct? Um, yes. So the, the the list of players, at least I went back to 2014, the list of players that have not played 10 games. Wide, this is wide receivers we're talking here. That have not played a minimum of 10 games their rookie year are the majority of those guys are, we never even talk about anymore. Like you can only play special teams. I'm not even looking at stats, just games played. If you were if you played 13 games and you were on kickoff coverage on all of them and that's all you did, that's fine. I move on to your stats then. But it was it was just guys that because I, I said this and it was kind of the same thing with Travis Etienne that rookie year is so important. So so important for the development and getting used to the NFL life, the culture, the the process, the coaching, the practices, the gameplay, the speed, all of it. So if, if you're not there, I mean you're not really getting anywhere. It's just you're you know, you're you're then the same, almost the same college kid you were a year later competing with the new crop of college kids that they just brought in. So yeah. That's one reason why I still feel very excited about Amari Rodgers. That, and I mean, I knew he was a developmental guy. And Amari Rodgers played in every single game this year. 16, oh, 16, so all but one. Um, I so believe he COVID one game, and that's why he didn't play. Yeah. Yeah, no, in fact, he did. But, um, you know, obviously I wish I could have seen more from him. Um, but I knew the minute they traded for Cobb and they re-signed some guys, like it was a, it was a dead season. Obviously, um, you know, He's developed for a year. You know, he knows the ropes a little bit. Um, when he touches the ball, he's dynamic, I guess. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, like, let me let me just name the guys from the last two classes that didn't hit 10 games. Denzel Mims, Quez Watkins, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Terry Godwin. We have She Smith, Smith-Marset, Seth Williams, Terrace Marshall, Des Fitzpatrick, Daz Newsom, Jalen Camp, Marquez Stevenson, Semi Fihoko and Tutu Atwell. You know, it's it's wild. Like I forgot. You know, I think I said this last week, but I really totally forgot that Tutu Atwell exists. Like Tutu Atwell is the really, and I guess Denzel Mims. Those are the only two guys that have maybe a chance because they were second round picks. But I think the ship has sailed on Mims. This 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 staff too didn't seem very pleased with him and. I Mim, Mims needs a change of scenery. I think that's the only way that he has a chance. But but the thing is, you know, it's like who's gonna, tr you know, okay, so he'll obviously be released at some point. Yeah, I think he's gonna. Get um, he's always trading for, him, but like, 
you're right. I mean, like he hasn't played very much in two years. He hasn't shown anything. So he'll come in just as much as a college kid who's coming in from Baylor. Like, I mean, I the odds are stacked against him. Like, I know, like I agree. Even the odds are stacked against Brian Edwards. Um, but at least, you know, in year two, like he was decent. Like it's not like all gloom and glam. Like the dude was solid. Obviously, I'm not gonna, you know, keep hyping him up and the ship has sailed and stuff, but like I think those guys were, you know, they they can you can see them progress, you know, from year one to year two to year three. Like you know, Brian Edwards from year one to year two, much 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 better. You know, hopefully in year three, you know, he's much 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 better from year two. You know, that's obviously the the dream when you draft a guy, but when you have a guy who's like, you know, like a Denzel Mims or like a Darius Tony who's like never on the field, um, I, I really think you have a good point. Like all of that intellect and the stuff that you're missing keeps you behind to the point where I don't think you can keep up. Well, and even guys changing teams and getting a fresh start, it's like, as you know, Sam, the NFL is a tight knit community and, and coaches talk and know each other and evaluators and front office personnel. I mean, not that a team is going to pick a guy like Mims up and just not try to develop him, but they know what the word, you know, on the street is about these guys. And, and you know what you're getting for the most part. Right. That's the hard thing is like, and especially with social media and stuff, it's like, it's incredibly hard to fool people nowadays. Like, you know, I don't know. It, you know, you can see everything and um, you know, people can see everything. And most importantly, teams see everything. Like you just don't think they do because, you know, it's not their name. It's just faces. Right. It's Turner that, you know, that doesn't even know you, that you don't even know exists. That doesn't have any followers. Doesn't like anything that's watching. Okay. Any other takeaways you guys want to get off your chest before we're out of here. I mean, I think we talked about a lot, so um, a lot to digest with the listeners. I will go ahead and say a little preview. Um, next week, we're going to do a special QB carousel episode. So come back and join us for that next week. Obviously in the meantime, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Can't stress this enough. It's only $7 and we provide a ton of value and we got new things coming this off season and next season. Also go sample our content at ffballallday.com. And like I said, join us back here next week on the fantasy scouts podcast, where we bring you inside info. You won't get anywhere else. 